Last week, I talked about how Jesus, our disciple, uh, lived a life that we were supposed to follow. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is not only the way, spiritually, uh, through Christ, that we be saved, but he is the way of life that we are to live. We're to follow him. In his example, in Isaiah 50, talks about how he was learned. And so, if we want to follow him, and that, that word learned is a good word, but it also is translated disciple. So if we want to follow him, we have to be disciples, his disciples. You know, it's interesting how many in here call yourself Christians? Amen. That's good. Uh, I guess I'm going to be preaching to the choir today, huh? Preaching to the choir means preaching a sermon everybody loves, and although I wonder if that's going to be the truth or not. But uh, you know that uh, he was our example as our disciple. Do you know where the name Christian came from? Most of you do, I think. Huh? This comes from the book of Acts. And it comes at the church at Antioch. Because the church at Antioch, it says, first time ever this word is used, the church at Antioch called the disciples Christians. You know, it didn't say the believers Christians. It was the disciples, and the disciples are the learned ones, the ones that have followed, not only follow, in order to follow Jesus, you have to know Jesus. And you can be saved and know him spiritually and be going to heaven, but you may not know him uh, in your mind, in your heart. And God wants us to be learned and disciples And when you hear the word Christian, you don't need to, it's okay to use that for believers, but that's not what originally they were talking about. They were talking about disciples. That's where the disciples were called Christians. And so the word Christian comes with the connotation that you are learned in the Bible. Uh, I've got a few addresses down here. Most of them I probably skip through myself. And in other words, I'm not going to skip them. I'm just going to tell you what's there. That's another place in the book of Acts. It says the church at Berea took down notes and then they went home and they looked up the word that they could to see if what Paul was preaching was in the word. And so you need to be Berean if you're going to be a disciple. You have to be wordaholics if you want to be a disciple. A wordaholic that just can't get enough of God's word. Um, There's a paradox where you'll thirst. You know, Jesus says, if you drink of the water that I have, you'll thirst no more. Well, that's, that's a kind of a paradox because the truth is you'll thirst more than you ever did before. But what he means was, is you'll thirst no more for the world. You'll thirst for me and to follow after me. 
And here's, uh, we're going to go first. I'm going to go to Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 7 through 10. I may start at the first verse, I don't know. And uh, Italian papers, that's Malachi. Okay, Malachi. Malachi, by the way, an Italian work that uh, made that up himself. Uh, the, called it the Malachi papers, is the Italian prophet. Only it's uh, Malachi. Malachi chapter 3, and I'm going to go 10 through 14. And if you want to write these notes down and check me out, I'm going to be talking about Genesis 2:17, uh, Genesis 3, verse 3, Genesis 4, 3 through 8, Joshua chapter 7, and Romans chapter 11, verse 16. Uh, we're not going to be looking at those verses uh, because of time <coughs> and rosemary. No, anyways. Uh, let's put up Proverbs, the third chapter, 7 through 10. And then we're going to look at Malachi, the third chapter, 10 through uh, 14. Okay, it says, uh, Be not wise in your own eyes, the f- <clears throat> excuse me, but fear the Lord. Uh, fear of the Lord is in awe of His awesomeness. Uh, what it means is be in awe of the Lord and uh, fear Him. You know, um, Jonathan Edwards wrote a uh, preached a sermon called "Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God." And sometimes when I read about the fear of the Lord in the Old Testament. I think of where he must have got some of his uh, motivation. But we're supposed to be humble and fear the Lord and depart from evil. Next verse. It shall be health to thy navel and moral to thy bones. Honor the Lord with thy substance. Okay, honor the Lord with your substance and with the first fruits of all your increase. Honor the Lord with your substance and with the first fruits of all your increase. Next one. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. Now let's go to, uh, be ready to go to Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. And I'm going to preach on a sermon today that not a lot of people like. I say that from experience, and that is tithing. Uh, I was going over about uh, how many sermons I've preached uh, over my lifetime, and it's well over 4,000. Or is it 2,000? 2,000, sorry. Uh, Hyperbole, evangelistically speaking, 4,000. Okay, that's elastic, stretches like hyperbole does, you know. 2,000 verses. 
and uh, come, come closer to 2,500, but 2,000 verses. I have preached on tithing, I believe, from and I have a fairly good memory, five times in 2,000 verses, five times. Only three here. This will be number four. I preached it on someplace else twice. Not the same place, but twice. And so <clears throat> I want to apologize for that. I have a reluctance to preach on tithing because if you're doing it, you know, people enjoy things. If you're not doing it, they don't like it. You know, uh, it's like, it reminds me, every time I say something like that, it reminds me of these two engineers, and it's, it's not factual, but two engineers in this movie who were always making things, you know, and they made this twine that could hardly be seen that could hold up a man, right? And it was made out of black widow spider uh, windings, uh, you know, web, all right? He says, and in order to make one twine, they had to milk several thousand black widow spiders, and they don't like it. They don't like the spider. The spiders don't like it. You know, well, you know, sometimes it's preached like preaching is like people don't like it. Uh, you can t- check your attitude at the door that today, but I hope, you know. But one of the reasons I have attitudes myself is because, you know, Easter Sundays we would go to church when I was growing up. And some, for some reason, once in a while, a service that were, was not on Easter Sunday. And, there, and it, every time we left the service, my father was disgruntled over them always asking for money. And I'm not just talking about taking up the collection. I'm talking about talking 10 minutes about it before they take up the collection. And it really bugged him. And it just kind of killed him uh, to take out that dollar that he once took out when that plate would come by and he'd give it, you know. He want, somebody would have to pull it out of his two fingers, you know. And, you know, I, I'm joking a little bit about that. But he was angry. He didn't like it. And he talked about it all the way home. So I was programmed to, to be fearful, not of tithing myself, but of preaching it. Well, I'm going to preach it today. And uh, I, I want you to think in terms of, well, I've been tithing for, you know, 45, 50 years, you know. But I want you to think in terms of uh, the learned, that to be a disciple of something not only means that you know it, but you also should know it well enough to teach it. Thank you, Adam. Yes, that's what it, that's what it means to be a disciple. You know that the Bible was written by men. Oh, to me, whoa! It's written by God. Well, actually, not. 
It was written by men under the inspiration of God. But that means it, the word is the word of God. But you know something? They weren't writing it down as they went. It was written they by memory. They wrote the Bible by memory. And some of them weren't there. They got it from people that were there and wrote it by the memory of the people that was there. But it was written by the inspiration of God. But first they had to know it. You know, the, the people who heard the preaching by Jesus heard the sermons over and over and over and over again. That's why you'll find the Sermon on the Mountain in one place, in one writing, and in another place, in another writing. Which is, which was when, when was it written? In Matthew 5, 6, and 7? Or, you know, Luke when he said it? Well, yes. It was, it was preached many times. And so I just want to uh, encourage you to get this down in your spirit, okay? Now we're going to preach on Proverbs. We preached on Proverbs. And, uh, you know, the Bible says, well, let's go on. Let's look at Malachi. Malachi. Malachi remembers? Okay. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse. The first purpose of the tithes is to meet the needs of the church. You know, you don't just, things just don't happen around here without a price. You know, those chairs you sit in didn't, didn't come free. The carpet didn't come free. It doesn't get itself clean on for free. You know, there are a lot of volunteers, but there's also um, work and, and it costs money. It costs money to keep up. It costs money to hit the... So the first purpose of the tithe is so that there will be money in the house. And then there's a large budget that has to be met. And then it says this, and prove me now herewith. This is the only place in the Bible that, that uses the word proof. Now, there's another word that we use for the word proof, and that is, uh, and I'm going to have to apologize. I, I'm going to have to put a, a cough drop in my mouth because my mouth is getting a little dry. There's one in where? Oh, water, yeah. That, that only worked while I'm drinking. Yeah, it does wet my mouth while I'm drinking, but afterwards it dries twice as fast. Yes. Pardon me. I come prepared. All right, the word proof. You know what proof? There's a form of, when you get proofed in school, you know what that means? You get tested. And this is the only place in the Bible that says, prove me. God says, prove me. Prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts. If I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. Now, this is important. 
But I want to just stress one thing before I get to it. And that is that before you can do things because you want a blessing, you have to, uh, God will do it in the beginning. But God wants a people that loves him and follows him because of who he is, not because of what he does. Now it's important to understand what he does. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. And it goes on to say what his benefits are. So those that's important. But you first have to believe, like I've mentioned before, he that comes to God must believe that he is God. And that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And the reward isn't having your needs met. The reward is him. The reward is God. Them that diligently seek him. When you diligently seek God, you will find God. You may be saved already, and that's still a truth. This is an ongoing process, growing up truth. See, so, but you also know that he's a rewarder in life because it comes with the package. He that spared not his son, but delivered us up for us all, how shall he not with him freely give us all things. The first of all things that he gives us is the blessings of God. The next of all things that come as a package with him is he meets all our needs according to his riches and glory. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. That means you shall not want for anything. You shall not lack for anything. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. Pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. There it is. There it is. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake, which means it's for his glory. You see? All right. Prove me now herewith. Test me. That's what another word for that is. Test me. Uh, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. What, what was the cause, though? Bring ye your tithes into the storehouse. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. And he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground. Neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the fields, saith the Lord of hosts. And all nations shall call you blessed. Now this was written to, to Israel by a prophet. But it was to us today. We're it. Did you know we're Israel? Yeah. We're the new Israel. It says so in the Bible. All nations shall call you blessed. For you shall be a delightsome land, saith the Lord of hosts. 
Your words have been stout against me. Now, now we come up with a rebuke. This is a rebuke. All right, and he's still talking to Israel, but it applies to us too. Your words have been stout against me. You know, one thing for a, a disciple is when his words are no longer a challenge to God. Remember, he was just saying about being blessed, you'll be blessed. But now he's getting into the part that I'm talking was talking about how you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. But this is some stout against me means that they haven't hum- they're prideful. He says, saith the Lord, I'll show you in a minute. He says, yet you say, what have we spoken so much against thee? You have said it is vain to serve God. You know what they meant by that? Vain. The word vain literally means empty. When a person is vain, they are empty. But this is talking about it is vain that you have words. And what, you know, I, I talked a little bit about this, this gal who said, I no longer want to be called a Christian. I'm no longer a Christian because uh, I, I just didn't see that his promises were true. I didn't see that he kept his word. I didn't see that, you know, he was faithful. And then, he, you know, I'm like, if you believe, back up to Hebrews eleven six. Uh, if you believe that God is God, then every, then that pretty much settles everything else. Now he wants you to believe that he will bless you, but he wants you to serve him. You know, Shadrach, Meshach, 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 excuse me, and Abednego, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were going to be thrown into the fiery furnace because they wouldn't worship an idol. Actually, it was something, it was the king being set up and being be told that he was going to worship the Pharaoh. Oh, not the Pharaoh, but the king of Persia. You know, Nebuchadnezzar. Not Nebuchadnezzar, but another one. And it says this, they, they built the fiery furnace and they were going to throw them in. And it says that, uh, do you believe your God will save you now? And they looked at the king there and says, we believe our God will save us. But this is not a lack of faith to say this. This is a lack of humility. But even if he doesn't, we will not bow down to your idol. See, that's humility. And they went in. And he looked in and he saw four people. And one looked like it was radiant, like the Son of God. One was the Son of God. You must have an attitude that, you know, God's going to bless me, but even if he doesn't, I will not bow down to Satan. What profit is he that hath kept his ordinance, that we have walked mournfully before the Lord of hosts? Did you catch this? Leave this up there. We're going to go on from there. But right now, I want you to leave it up there. You notice this? That it is vain 
to serve the Lord. The literal, literal meaning is empty, but you know what it means to be vain? It means empty of God. Empty of God. Because, see, vain means also something else, to be full. To be full of yourself. Vanity is to be emptied of God and full of yourself. Humility is to be emptied of self and full of God. And so it says, we have kept his, we have did his word. And that we have walked mournfully. I wonder if they were telling the truth. And if they were, it had to be the wrong attitude. Says, but uh, people think they're doing well. You know, like today, what do most people think? They think I shall be saved because I've lived a pretty good life. Baloney. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And it isn't by walking his way. It's by believing in him. And then we walk his way. And that we had walked mournfully before the Lord of hosts. They just got to saying it's vain. And then they say we're mournfully. All right, let's go to, uh, let's stop with that one. Take that one up. Hallelujah. There is what I have heard before. This isn't like me preaching my own stuff. Some, not so much. Uh, I heard a sermon by another person, which I've got this information, and every time I preach this sermon, uh, it's mostly him. So it's in the, I, I stole it. I just want everybody to know it. You know, uh, you know this, the, the story about Kenneth Copeland, who went to Kenneth Hagen, and he said, I, I told you this story. Where he says, I want every tape that you've ever made, and I'll sign my pink, my pink slip, uh, what they used to call it down south, I don't know, the ownership of the car, my car over to you for every cassette that you have. Uh, and he said, uh, he went up, upstairs, he comes back downstairs, and he's got a suitcase full of tapes like this, full. And he says, yeah, keep that, keep that car and get it out from in front of my house. I don't want people to see that piece of junk in front of me. And so he didn't take his car. But Kenneth Hagen had this thing that he says, you know, I mean, Kenneth Copeland, he says, I just memorized the tapes and started preaching them. You know, now I imagine that there's some things you might take issue to when you're memorizing a tape. I always have. But I might mostly. So sometimes you just are the things that I'm preaching are regurgitated. That's the term is used. You know, you chew it a while in your stomach and cows regurgitate and chew it again. And so that's part of the word of God. You chew it up in your spirit and then you regurgitate it and you swallow it and chew it up again. And so... That's the sign of a learned as a disciple. But there's this, this principle. Now, I hope I've heard that use, word used. It's not my word the first time. But the idea of the principle is there are laws. A principle is a law. Okay. There are laws that are 
true no matter what. The law of gravity is a law that is working no matter what. Jesus, you know, Jesus was taken up into a high places and says, he says, if you're the son of God, jump off. Prove that, you know, the angels will bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. But Jesus wouldn't go for that. Jesus knew that that was a, a law that uh, should not be broken. But if he fell, the angels would bear him up lest he dashed his foot against the stone. So you, it wouldn't be, this, this is one of the places where you prove God. When you jump, go up and jump, you're going to save me, save me. No, no, this isn't a trust walk or a trust fall or anything like that. Gravity's going to work. There are other laws, like, for example, the law of lift. That's a law that planes fly by. It's called the law of lift. It overrides the law of gravity. So there are the laws that override. But there are laws that are true no matter when. All right? No matter what. And this is one of those laws. And the first time we find this law is because, see, and we're going to get to the, to the last part in a minute, but the first place that we find this law in Genesis, the second chapter, the 17th verse. And it says this, God takes Adam and Eve, he, puts, he makes the garden for them, and he puts them in the midst of the garden, and he says, you see this tree right here? This is the tree of life. You can freely eat of this tree while you're in the garden. As long, you see this tree over here? This is the tree of knowledge and of good and of evil. You are not to eat from that tree. Now, later on, when the master of deception begins with his dissection of the word, the serpent comes to Adam and Eve and says, Has God said that you shall not eat of this fruit? When you do, you shall die. And Eve says, God said, not only not eat of it, but don't even touch it. Now, I've heard writers of the uh, teachers before say that he, she didn't, he didn't say, don't touch it. And you, you won't find it in uh, Genesis 2.17. But the truth is, is they say things in, in the Bible like, for example, uh, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Who said that in the Bible? Adam. God didn't say that. Adam said it. But it became truth. Okay? It was truth when he said it. And so when Paul quotes, he quotes it as if God said it. And he's not wrong. You see, what I'm, you see where I'm coming from? Okay. So in this particular case, when Eve says, you don't touch it, I believe that she's right on the money. I think God said, don't touch it. You can touch the tree of life and partake of the tree of life, but you don't touch this one and you don't eat of it. And so she says, God said that in the day we touched it. And then the deceiver said, uh, you won't die, you know, and they... They, they touch you. You know the story. All right, now what's the point in that? The point is, there's this principle where God says, this is for you, this is not for you, don't touch it. 
Don't, because it's, it, you know, it's kind of like when God told them, don't touch this or you'll die. Don't touch that or you'll die. You know, the children of Israel in the wilderness, any, even somebody goes up and touches the bottom of the mountain at a certain time, you'll die, right? So there's a law in place that where God says, and it's a pattern where you find throughout the entire Bible, where God says, this is mine, not yours. If you touch it, you will surely die. Now that's a metaphor, okay, in a spiritual sense. Now what does it mean? Why is that important? Because you see this pattern through the scriptures that God says, don't touch this. It's, he says it's accursed. It's accursed if you touch it. If you don't touch it, it's a, it's a blessing to me. You see, it's, 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 it's mine. All right. He says the same thing. You know where Cain and Abel, and if you want the reference to this, it's in uh, Genesis 3, um, uh, excuse me, Genesis 4, 3 through 8, the story of Cain and Abel. It says that Cain brought, he, was, he grew product, he grew, he grew things of the land. All right, it says Cain brought an offering before the God, for God, where Abel brought the firstling of his flock. So Abel was a uh, produced uh, you know, land, uh, sheep and whatever. It just says the firstlings of his flock or of his herd. And so it says, but it says, uh, God says he did not respect Cain's offer, but he respected, uh, set, uh, excuse me, uh, Abel's order. All right. Now what, what's the point? The point is it wasn't because Abel's was a sheep. It doesn't even say it was a sheep or a bullock or any other kind of animal. It wasn't because it was a blood sacrifice. As a matter of fact, that Hebrew and the word for offering that they keep using is used for a offering, like a gift that you give. It's not blood. It was a gift that they give. And Cain's was not respected because it wasn't the first fruits. It wasn't the, 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 the best of the harvest. It was something. And God had no respect for it. But God had respect for Abel's offering because it was the first fruits. And that is a principle that, that, that is seen throughout the entire scriptures. And I could give you a whole lot more references. But I'll give you another one. One other one. Joshua Chapter 7 is a story. It's a harsh story. Pastor Norm and I talk a lot about this subject. It's a, it's a subject that is heavy on his heart. And so I, I get this pretty much like at one point, every fourth or fifth conversation we have, he'll bring this up. And... Uh, it's, it's, it's a burden on his soul. And it's about how harsh God was in the Old Testament. And God, if there were certain things that were going on where God had to do things to stop evil from, from just corrupting everything. Right? And this is one of those times. You see, because they were told, when you go into Jericho and take Jericho, 
Do not touch the silver or the gold or anything there is in Jericho because it's accursed. It's accursed. He says, no. And he says, that's mine. God says, that's mine. The first city that they took, the firstlings, you get the picture? It's the firstling. The first city that they took was Jericho and the silver and gold and everything that was in it was going to be God's. And God says it's accursed if you touch it. Touch it. You see? It says don't touch it. Which don't take it. And so they, they had this little little place that uh, they, were, they were starting to take all the villages and they, the first one was this little nothing that they thought that they could take with just a few men. And so they sent 50 or so men over to take it. Joshua did. And they all got run off or killed. And he starts, what's going on here? So he starts bowing his knees and they said, we got to pray here. Why did God bring us to, to feet Jericho and then have our lunch handed us by this other little place? And so they went before the Lord and he started bringing people for the Lord. says, who took Something from Jericho. And this guy, Achan, he says, I did. I, I, it was so pretty and it was so much. And he tells him about the talents and all the things that he took. And he buried it under his tent, you know. And so God said, every person, every member of, of his family would be destroyed. That's hard. That's hard. We don't, want to, we don't want to see God like that. But this is no games. This isn't any games. All right? It says, that's mine. Don't touch it. If you don't, there's a principle. In Romans eleven sixteen. Paul says this. If the first fruits, the first fruits is something that you bring to God. If the first fruits are holy, and acceptable to God because it's the first fruits. The, this is what Paul says. Romans 11, 16, 17, excuse me. Romans eleven sixteen. If the first fruits are holy, the whole lump is holy. Do you know what he's talking about there? He's talking about tithing and something else, which is absolutely wonderful. And that is this. You know, when Jesus is crucified, is crucified on Friday before Saturday, and he was and it flowed into being on Saturday, which they said it would have to his uh, cross would have to come down. So he literally was taken off the cross on the third day. You know, not not necessarily three days, but one, two, three. Now the third day uh, after or on the third day is Friday he's crucified. Saturday is the Passover. And it's funny because the Passover, and I I didn't share this the last time, but this is pretty nifty. When Jesus uh, was uh, crucified, it said that they were going to divide his belongings. And so they had all these different things, and they got to the coat, and they said, we can't, this is too rich, this is too good. We'd have to chop this up to divide it equally among the soldiers. And he says, we can't do that. It's so, so good. Why is that so perfect? It actually says row 
or coat. It actually means tunic. And the tunic was such a fine piece of cloth, they were going to cut it up. And then they said, oh, it's too fine. Then we'll just cast lots for it. Right? So they cast lots for it. You know why that's important? It's important because the high priest on Friday, when he was coming, when Jesus was coming before him, and, and, and Jesus, he got all mad about what Jesus was saying or not saying. And he took his tunic. And this was something that you used to do if you were in that. You rip your clothes. It was supposed to be a sign of him, of uh, uh, more, uh, humility, but in Rhea, or a sign of anger. But he was angry and he ripped his tunic, it says. And do you know what that meant? You could, he could not, because he had a tunic that was not, was, was not damaged, he could not do the Passover the next day. And yet what Jesus did, Jesus had a coat or a tunic that was not ripped, because why? He's the high priest. And what's really interesting is there were three times that the high priest would say on the Passover, where he would go and do the Passover uh, sacrifice, and when the lamb was completely sat, you know, the, the without blemish, he would he would do his hands and he would clap like this and put his arms out like that. And when he clapped his hands and did this, he would shout "Neg Mar," right? And so that would he would do that three times a day, and the third times he would shout "Neg Mar." You know what "Neg Mar" means? It means it is finished. It is finished, which is what our high priest shouted with his hands out. Nagmar, you know. Is that beautiful, just how that all fits together? But you had the Passover on Saturday, because the Sabbath is on Saturday. Saturday is literally the Sabbath, all right? Monday is the first day of the week. There are some Christian sects, sects, S-E-C-T-S, sects. No, that doesn't sound right. You don't have to agree with me when I say stuff like that. <laughs> but you know, there's some Christian groups that believe that that's why they meet on Saturday. It's the Sabbath. But you see, in the beginning of the church, the beginning of the church were Jewish Christians, and Jewish Christians met on Saturday, the Sabbath, as Jews. And then when Sunday would come along, which was the first day of the week, the church would meet on Sunday. And they called that day the Lord's Day. And so we continue to do that. But we understand that Saturday is the Sabbath. But So we meet on the Lord's Day. Now what's important about that as well? You see, Passover happens on Saturday, the Sabbath. The day after Passover is first fruits. And what they would come in, they would come in to do their first fruit, and they would have uh, lullabs or wheat stalks, that they would wear, wave the wheat stalks as they came up and put them in the, in the temple or in the tabernacle of Moses. And when they would put that wheat stalk, that was f- symbolic of them giving their first fruits 
to the temple, to the, to the church, to the, uh, the scribes or the Levites that worked in the temple. And so that, it doesn't necessarily mean that they grew wheat. It was just symbolic of that. But if you think of it as wheat, Jesus is the bread of life. You see? So he is the first fruits, the first fruits from the dead, the first that is risen from the dead and is in heaven. And so he's the first fruits. You may remember that on Sunday, or excuse me, on the first day of the week, Sunday, Mary was hanging around the tomb. You know, the tomb was Joseph's tomb. It was in a beautiful garden. And it was the only tomb there. It had never been used before. And Joseph gave his own uh, tomb up for Jesus to be buried. And Mary comes to the tomb, sees the, the stone rolled away. And she looks inside. This is the second time she comes. She looks inside and she sees these two majestic beings. One stand at one foot of, at the foot of Jesus' burial and the one at the head. And they're like glowing. And she's like, what in the world's going on? And so she turns around. When she turns around, she sees Jesus. And she doesn't recognize him as Jesus. And she thinks he's the gardener. So he says, she says to him, uh, Sir, can you tell me where they've laid him? Or, Sir, can you tell me where you've laid him? Laid him? And they said, uh, uh, she, he says, why do you... You know, this already happened with the angels. And she, he says to her, why, why are you crying? He says, they've taken my Lord. Can you tell me where you've laid him? And then he says, Mary, Mary Magdalene. The second he says her name, she knows who he is. Why is that? Because my sheep know my voice. And the the master knows each sheep by name. And so she knew this was the shepherd. Isn't that beautiful? And so she is going to... He says, stop, don't touch me, for I have not yet risen to be with the Father. You know, some translation says, don't cling to me. Well, there's a good, a good sermon from using that word, too, because that's what we do. We do cling to our worldly things. But it, most often it's translated, don't touch me. He says, don't touch me. Why? Because I have been sanctified, holy, dedicated to God. And because I will be the first fruits from the dead. And if the first fruits are holy, the whole lump is holy. So it just doesn't talk about your finances. It talks about you. You're the lump. You're the thing that's holy because Jesus has been raised from the dead. Are you with me on this? Okay, so does that mean it doesn't matter if we tithe now? If we signify by our giving to God, if we signify that our finances and my life is uh, devoted to you and given to you, that's what it means when you give the first fruit, you're saying it's yours, God. And when you say that, the blessing of the Lord is on the rest of it, as we read in Malachi. And so what happens is, is when we are, and this is something that you may not have considered before, maybe you have, 
Maybe I shared this part before, but I don't remember. But it goes like this. Every time you tithe, you are proclaiming Jesus has been raised from the dead. You're proclaiming his resurrection. Every time you give a tithe, you're proclaiming that this is not only the first fruits of my endeavors in life, and therefore the whole lump is holy, you're also proclaiming that Jesus has been raised from the dead. You know, I often write down on when I write out at my tithe check, I quote, he is risen. Because that's what you're doing. You see how important it is and how important it is. And, and I say that I, you know, people brag, say I tithe. I don't think that's something to brag on. Personally, I'm happy you tithe. But you see, what's happened is a tithe isn't something you voluntarily give in one respect. A tithe is what you say, I mandatorily give. I'm mandatory to give it. I I give my tithe because God has commanded me to do it. And so when I give my tithe, I'm only doing it. You know when it says first fruits? It doesn't mean last fruits. You pay all your bills, and if you've got money left over, you pay that. No, first fruits is you pay that first. Then the, the rest of your livelihood is holy, and he will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. So when you give the first fruits, then the whole lump is holy, and you're signifying. And you know, it's all part of the same walk with the Lord. It is. It really is. I remember we just uh, buried Al Boldanza, what was it, four weeks ago, three weeks ago? And I was up and talking about some of the things about him. And I, I, I forgot one thing that he said one time. Uh, he was driving home, and this is one of the times where you'll figure it out. He's, we're, he's driving home, and he's just so depressed. And Francis, he was so depressed, it was obvious. And Francis says to Al, what's going on? What's wrong? And he says, they want me to tithe. She says, what? I, he said, they want me to tithe. And she says, who wants you to tithe? You do. Don does. And God does. I'm not making that story up. They want me to tithe. Well, that's true. I do. I want you. Not so I can get your money. Although we can use the money and do wonderful things with it. You know. But because I want you to be blessed. Now, I said, this isn't bragging. I don't ever remember not tithing. Years before, when I was not one of the leaders in the church, I, it, it, to me, you know what it was? That isn't bragging, because <laughs> I pay my electric bill. What do you think of that? Yeah. Holy, holy, holy. Maybe today that might mean something. I pay my mortgage off. 
Am I cool or what? Could I brag about paying off a, a bill? Well, I can't brag about t- paying tithes because it's, it's not, you know, optional. It's mandatory. Now, all the blessings that come with it, I, I believe, but I tithe. I've always tithed. It's just, you know, that's just like something that you normally, naturally do. You know, you pay your bills. And that's the, that not, that's not only a bill, but that's the first one. Then it says to owe no man anything but to pay your debts. Now, I might be bragging on this one. Because when I first moved here, when we opened up that refrigerator, uh, it was totally empty. I thought I was going to see a ghost in there consuming everything, but we didn't have anything to consume, so we wasn't, wasn't worried about it. I, that's a scene from Ghostbusters, in case you're wondering. No, no, no. We paid our tithes first, then we paid for the bills, and if there was anything left over, we paid food was the next thing. So I, first couple of weeks that I lived here, our refrigerator remained empty, except for one thing. I do like cold water. So I put water in it. Had zero in it, zero in it. One week, we came in uh, with that empty refrigerator. And at the time, Jackie was with child. You might wonder which one. We still paid all our bills first. And if there's anything left over, we ate. And we were invited out to eat at somebody's house. Nobody knew it. We never complained. We never said a word. We were invited to somebody's house to eat every single day. And that was, of course, they did wonder how I could eat that much. You know, because I was not only eating for that day, but the next one too, you know. We were invited out to eat. And then after a week of every single day going out to eat, I came home uh, and I opened the door and there's this envelope at the bottom of the door that had $250 worth in it as a gift from somebody in this church. Wow. Wow. He poured me out a blessing that there wasn't room enough to receive it. Hello, now I can go out in the middle of the night and buy liverwurst. Oh, I have the same reaction. Oh, my. Oh, oh. But if Jackie starts eating liverwurst, you're thinking a miracle has taken place. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> Oh, she probably like it anyway, but that's when she just has to have it. And blueberry something that I'd go out in the middle of the night and find some place like Dunkin' Donuts and give give me blue 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 blueberry muffins or something. You know, you if you pay your mortgage. That's that that's no nothing, big deal. So what? You don't want to lose your house. You pay your mortgage. You pay you pay other bills. So what? You pay your electric bill. So what? You tithe. So what? You know, I, I, I honestly, I, I'm just going to be straightforward with you. Uh, I've had people, 
and the ones I'm talking about aren't here today, so you don't think I'm singling anybody out, but I've had people say to me, we're working towards tithing. And I'm like, what? <laughs> You're working towards tithing? What? Who? who are you working towards you paying your electric bill too? Or <laughs> That's first. First fruits. First thing. First thing I do when I do the check, I, I mean, in, entry and income, I say he has risen or God loves me or something like that. Then the next thing. Of course, I know none of you use these things anymore, like, like uh, record-keeping books and stuff. And then I would say, and I love the Lord. $100, I, I tithe. Hallelujah. Have you got it? Get it? Got it? Good. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for loving us. Thank you, Lord, for providing for us, protecting us, giving to us, and that we may give to you. We want the whole lump to be blessed. And when I give, I give it Not only freely, but I also give it knowing that I believe that you're going to watch over it to spend it uh, the way you want it spent and to be used the way you want it used. Hallelujah. We thank you, Lord, for that. In Jesus' name, amen.